0: This is the fifth and final reading of the Myanmar chapter in A Short History of Southeast Asia. It covers the period from 2004 up to 2017 when the book was republished for the sixth edition. In January 2004, the government and the Karen National Union, which is the most significant ethnic group fighting the government, agreed to a ceasefire. Since then, however, sporadic clashes between Myanmar's army and the insurgents have occurred. In October 2004, Kinyont was dismissed as Prime Minister, ostensibly for corruption, but more likely the victim of a power struggle. In July 2005, he received a suspended sentence of 44 years from the Special Tribunal and was placed under house arrest, but released in 2012. Kinyunt was replaced by General So Win, the former First Secretary of the SPDC, who had a reputation as a hardliner in dealings with the NLD. So Win stepped aside due to ill health in May 2007, and died in October of that year and he, in turn, was replaced as Prime Minister by SPDC First Secretary Lieutenant General Ten Sen. However, the real power in Myanmar at that point lay, and to a large extent even today lies, with the military. In 2007, the most senior general was General Tan Sui, who was Chairman of the SPDC, Commander in Chief of the Defence Force, Minister of Defence, and also took on the functions as State President. Senior General Tan Shui was replaced in 2011 as Commander in Chief of the military by General Min Ong Liang, who was subsequently promoted to Senior General in 2013. In an announcement that took Yangon based diplomats by surprise, including, it was reported, those representing other ASEAN countries, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced in November 2005 that government ministries and military headquarters were to be transferred to Napidor, approximately 350 kilometres north of Yangon. The government also promised a tenfold increase in salaries paid to civil servants required to relocate to the new site. The official reason given for the creation of a new administrative capital was that Napidor was centrally located and therefore more accessible from all parts of the country. However, observers have speculated an enhanced capacity to quarantine key government and security installations from from potentially debilitating unrest in Yangon, such as that which swept the capital in 1988, to be a more plausible explanation. It continues to be the administrative capital despite the huge inconvenience caused to everyone who has to travel there to meet with government officials, let alone the thousands of officials who have had to uproot from Yangon to move to a city with few positive attributes Many have left their families behind in Yangon. In 2010, and two weeks before the election, the government announced changes to the country's flag, anthem and official name to the Republic of the Union of Myanmar instead of the Union of Myanmar. They also passed new election laws with provisions for an electoral commission to be handpicked by the military. The first election was for 20 years, was finally held in November 2010. While NLD decided to boycott polls, a splinter party, the National Democratic Front, managed to obtain legal rights to compete in the election. When the election results were announced, it was not surprising that the newly formed military-backed party, the Union, Solidarity and Development Party, USDP, won with a resounding victory. Many claim that the elections were a sham and merely a means for the government to be seen as transitioning from a military to a civilian rule. The leader of the USDP, Tan Sen, was subsequently sworn in as President of Myanmar. A week after the election in November, Aung San Suu Kyi, who was prevented from taking part, was finally released from house arrest. She met with President Tansan in Naypyidaw for the first time in August 2011 which many saw as a sign of the new, partially civilian government opening up to the opposition and seeking their cooperation. From 2010 up to the general elections in 2015, President Tan Sen also introduced a series of reforms, from the easing of media censorship laws to the release of many political prisoners. These reforms have allowed Myanmar to open slowly to the outside world, In a parliamentary by-election that changed the course of history in Myanmar, NLD, led by Aung San Suu Kyi, won a landslide victory in 2012. By claiming 40 out of the 45 parliamentary seats in what was largely a free and fair election, the result has been hailed as the beginning of a new era. And though full democracy is a long way off, it was certainly a giant step forward. There were more remarkable political developments when a national election in 2015 swept Aung Sung Suu Kyi and the NLD to power in another resounding victory. While the elections ended 50 years of total military rule, the military still holds a very strong position. It controls important ministries such as defence, home affairs and border affairs and constitutionally the military is entitled to 25% 25% representation in the Lato, the parliament. This control prevents the NLD from changing the constitution without the approval of the military. It also includes any change to the constitution to allow Ung San Suu Kyi to become president. Instead, she has opted to be appointed foreign minister and state councillor in the president's office. She also engineered the appointment of her old friend, Tin Cho as President Now largely in control, the NLD government, despite the loosening or removal of sanctions by many countries, including recently the United States, faces multiple massive challenges, including re-energising a largely stagnant economy, settling long-running wars with many ethnic groups dating back to independence from the British and solving the status of the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar. Of these issues, the last two are likely to take many years, if not decades, to find a solution. As mentioned earlier, a number of ethnic groups, which are numerous include the Karen, the Kachin, the Shan and the Chin, want their own autonomous states or even independence, as promised by Aung San Suu Kyi's father when he was governor of Burma, and which was later ignored by successive governments post-independence. Given some groups have been in armed conflict with the military-controlled Myanmar government for the last 60 years, they are unlikely to give up just because there is a civilian government in power. In any event, the NLD cannot make any decision on these issues without the support of the military that controls the relevant ministries of defence and border affairs. Finding a solution for the political and economic situation of the Rohingya Muslims who live near the border with Bangladesh is just as difficult. In recent years, there has been a rising tide of anti-Muslim sentiments amongst right-wing Buddhist groups who pressed for laws which came into force under the previous Tansen government, preventing non-Buddhists from marrying Buddhists and requiring approval from the government to change one's religion. The anti-Rohingya sentiment seems to be particularly deep-seated amongst the Burmese, and even Ung San Suu Kyi has done little to address the plight of the Rohingya. The NLD came to power with the considerable, albeit unrealistic, expectations of its supporters that the new civilian government could solve all of the massive economic, social and political issues that had built up over the decades when the military had been in total power. Whether the NLD can satisfy these expectations in a meaningful time frame is likely to be critical to its continuing support. That's the end of the Myanmar chapter. As mentioned, this edition of my short history of Southeast Asia was published in 2017 and therefore doesn't cover any of the dramatic events that have occurred since then, including, of course, the landslide uh, support of NLD in the 2020 elections and the coup that followed that on 1st February 2021. But having read the chapter and thought about it, why is Myanmar where it is today? Well, I think some of the key reasons are the way that the British treated the monarchy when they took over Burma by uh, abolishing the monarchy and moving King Tibor to Calcutta. So the Burmese were left without any structure, social structure for them, including the king was the head of the Buddhist religion and with him gone again things had to be restructured and the way that the ethnic groups were treated, whereas the Burmese were subject to direct rule, all of the ethnic groups were handled in a very different way where the lead, the local leaders were left in place and basically if they followed the instructions of the British, they continued to be able to run their show. Well, the next thing I think that contributed to where we are today is the fact that the Peng Long Agreement, which was signed in 1947 under the uh, persuasion of General Aung San, promised a federal system so that, if the ethnic groups joined with the Burmese, they would be able to have, I guess you'd say, a federal state. But unfortunately, the assassination of Aung San in April 1947, just a couple of months after that, meant that the key person who was responsible for persuading the ethnic groups to join was no longer there, and there was no one really to replace him. So. Under that Panglong Agreement, as you may remember, the ethnic groups would have a right to withdraw from the Federation after 10 years. So that takes us up to the late uh, 1950s. And of course, there was a great likelihood that they would withdraw. And that leads us to the 1962 coup by General Ne Win, following which, as you can read in many of the stories, including some I read out of uh, Neil Adams, the Shan princess, many of the Shan leaders were murdered or jailed. And since then, of course, most of the ethnic groups have not sought to reach agreement with the Burmese. So we now have the current military coup, which took place in February last year, the many of the ethnic groups have been fighting since independence for self-determination or autonomy, as I mentioned, and I don't think they're going to change now. So I think we've got this situation where it's stalemate, plus the fact, or encouraged by the fact that this time many of the Burmese civilians are not just bowing down and accepting the military rule. I can't see a short-term solution to having peace in Myanmar, and I think it's a tragic situation, as many of the key players that could play a part are standing aside. And obviously, there's a lot of world events, such as what's happening in Ukraine, which are taking a lot of the attention away from the tragic situation for the Myanmar people. But I'm sure there are others who have different views as to why Myanmar is where it is today, but I think that's a summary of my own views. Thank you for listening.